we are going to dive into the message today, and I'm looking forward to it because we've been in this sermon series for the past couple weeks. This is week four. If you missed the first three, they are all online for you to listen to. But basically, we called it Keep It Weird because, you know, there's always, a, there's always you see signs sometimes where it says, keep Portland weird, keep Austin weird, keep Eugene weird. Every state seems to have their own city that they'd like to think was Portland or Eugene, but it's not, you know. But they, but they think, but they, you know, they keep it weird. And uh, the idea is, is that from day one, from day one, Christianity has always been um, sort of weird. And by that, here's what I mean. I mean a good kind of weird. I mean that from the beginning, outsiders, you know, people that weren't Christians, looked at the Christian community and they said, what is the deal with them? They the way that they view money is just different. The way that they view relationships is different. The way they view power and authority is, is different. Um, you know, what is it about them? They just seem so strange. They seem a little weird. And the challenge for the Christian church from the very beginning is, is, uh, is we have a tendency to, we don't like the feeling sometimes of being weird, and so we tend to drift and become like the, the surrounding culture to become like everybody else and because we don't like sometimes we don't like the feeling of being of being weird but it's essential it's essential that we as Christians we look at what the scripture has to tell us and who Jesus is and what he modeled for us to hold on to those distinctives because those are the things those are the things that that give us a voice to our culture those are the things that cause our causes our culture to stop and say what is it about those people. They just do things so differently. And so we want to keep it weird. And these, this sermon series was, is in particular about marriage, about relationships, um, about dating, about singleness. You know, some of the, we've, we've tackled a lot of these topics over the last couple weeks. Um, I got to give you a heads up. Next Sunday, you don't want to miss next Sunday. Um, no, we're not going to be in Christmas quite yet. I know it's going to feel like it because it's going to be after Thanksgiving and everybody else is a full-on Christmas right after Thanksgiving. But we, we got one more week until we start the Advent stuff. Next week, got to give you a heads up. Next week's sermon is rated PG-13. Okay? Now, the reason why it's rated PG-13 isn't because, like, you know, we're the kind of church where I try to shock you with, you know, some of the, the words. I, I'm, I'm not, we're not into that. That's not our jam. Uh, but, uh, but the content of next, week, next week's message has to do with, with sexual intimacy and what the Scripture has to say about that and how we as Christians should view that. And I just want to be sensitive because there's a lot of families that bring their, bring their, their kids in here, and, and we love it, and we love it. In fact, you might have a middle schooler, and you might think, hey, this is an awesome topic for, uh, for my middle schooler to be in here, so you'd love to bring him. I just want to give you a heads up that next week, that's the context of what we're going to be talking about, and I'll remind you about it next week. But today, I want to draw your attention to something that perhaps is one of the biggest dangers that's affecting your marriage right now. One of the biggest dangers that's affecting you and your roommate relationship situation right now, if you're single and you're living with roommates, one of the biggest dangers that's affecting some of your friendships right now, one of the biggest dangers that's affecting your dating relationship right now, your engagement relationship right now, no matter where you land in the sort of relationship world and who you're connected to today, we're going to look at the, uh, just a couple of verses in the book of Ephesians. This is Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And he's going to draw their attention to something that is, I don't, I just, I, 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 I want to just do it justice this morning because it's, it's so huge, so helpful, so important. 
And it just might open your eyes to, for you to be able to see that some of the issues that you think you're experiencing right now is not because of what you're experiencing right now. In other words, in other words, often when we experience tension or difficulty in relationships, we tend to look at what's immediately around us. So if you were to ask me, hey, Brooks, what's your biggest marriage issue right now? I would be tempted to say, oh, I know what it is. It's her. If she would just change, you know, if she would just do this, if she would just do that, everything would be fine. And we tend to think that our problems are sort of right now. But, um, but perhaps we're misdirecting ourselves. Perhaps we're not looking to the right place to really see what's, what's in putting our relationships in danger. Paul's going to open up our eyes to it. I'm excited to take you there because uh, it's been so incredibly helpful and instructive in my life. Here's what it is. You ready? I'm going to tell you what the thing is. I'm just going to unveil what this thing is that has the potential to ruin your today. Here's what it is. It is your past. Your past. So we tend to think that the problem with now is now, but perhaps one of the biggest dangers to your relationship right now with your spouse or with your you know, friends or whatever is not, it's not what's going on now. It's something from the past. In fact, here's, here's the key, all right? The key, I said, the key, there we go, the key to unlocking your present the key to unlocking your present is coming to grips with your past. The key to unlocking your present is coming to grips with your past. In particular, I want to talk about the unaddressed wounds from your past. The unaddressed wounds from your past. All of us have them. All of us have these wounds from our past. Some of them you've addressed. Some of them you know about. But some have gone underground. Some are harder to diagnose, harder to see, because maybe there's been lots of decades, perhaps, between now and then. But what Paul's going to try to draw our attention to is there are these things, these unaddressed wounds from our past. And if we don't have the eyes to see them, they could really hurt us. Today's going to be really cool. I'm just going to point you to these verse, verses in Ephesians. So here's what's going on. Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus. Remember this. It's easy for us to think when we read the Bible that those people back then, they were primitive. They don't understand me. They we're in a different context. Um, and certainly they are in a different context. But we also have to remember that these people in Ephesus are in many ways just like you and me. I mean, they're thinking through, they have the same concerns. They, they've got, they're thinking through the same things. They've got the same questions as you and me. They're, they're human beings that are just wrestling with their humanity like we are. And so Paul's words to them are Paul's words to us this morning. And listen to what he says. He's just about to unpack something that's so incredibly helpful. Um, it starts like this. It starts in verse 25. He says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth to his neighbor, for we are members um, one of another. Um, and then he says this, Be angry, but do not sin. Be angry, but do not sin. Now, this is really interesting because you know what Paul is saying is okay, is to be angry. Paul's letting it, he's, he's saying it's okay for us to be angry. He says, be angry, be angry. Or in another version, maybe in your version of the Bible, it says, in your anger, do not sin. He says, when you get angry, you know, be angry, but it's what we do with that anger that has the potential to be destructive. It's not the anger itself. And that's incredibly important, especially if you're somebody like me. If you grew up, uh, I, you know, just, uh, 
I've been a Christian for as long as I can remember from, and raised in a really, really great home. But one of the things that I think I picked up along the way and that many of us as Christians sometimes pick up along the way unintentionally is that anger isn't like a Christ-like emotion. It's not a good emotion that anger is, you know, Christians shouldn't be angry. You know, Christians should be happy, you know, or Christians should be, you know, we use a lot of different words instead of anger to describe how we're feeling. But Paul is just letting us off the hook. He says, hey, listen, it's okay to be angry. Be angry. Um, but in your anger, don't sin, okay? Um, and what Paul's about to do is he's going to give us a glimpse in just a moment. He's going to give us a glimpse about wh- like where, this ro- where the root of this anger is, or why we deal with this anger in our lives. Now, when I talk about anger, it's easy to think about like the overt kind, you know. Um, have you ever met somebody that's like so angry that you look at them and you realize like that anger has, it's got like deep roots. It has, it has less to do with me and more having to do with something else, you know. I experienced it that, you've experienced this while driving, all right, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. I tend to be kind of like a very low-key um, I don't, uh, driver, I don't get upset much. It's because I get it from my dad. My dad is like the classic, you know, we would make fun of him and, you know, laugh because he'd be driving in the car and somebody would cut him off and he'd be like, whoa, they're a pilgrim. You know, like that's how my dad would react to car issues. That's as, that's as angry as he got in the car, you know. And so I picked that up from him. And so I, t- I don't get riled up too much in the car. But other people do, all right. So, you know, every once in a while, I'm, I don't know if I do something or they're doing, they think I did something. But somebody's angry at me and they get up right up on my rear and they're honking. And they, I look in the rearview mirror and they're, you know, making gestures at me, you know, and they're just super angry. And then they do the thing where they pass you and they get up right next to you. You know that moment where they're like pulling up right next to you. What I like to do, here's a tip, what I like to do in that moment, because see, they really want to egg you on, so the thing that you can do to egg them even more on is to just ignore them. I like to turn up the music and then just have a little dance party in my car, like, you know, I just like, I'm just like driving, having my little moment, and that person is just getting angrier and angrier. But when you have that kind of experience and you see that kind of, an, that kind of anger, don't you know, you know, see, that person thinks they're angry at me. But when you encounter that, you're like, man, there's, they're not angry at me. <laughs> they think they're angry at me, but man, there's this anger that's for coming from somewhere else. And it's just it's spilling out, right? Now, it's easy sometimes for us to identify that kind of anger. There's other kinds of anger that is harder for us to identify because it doesn't look like anger, okay? But what Paul's going to help us see is that anger doesn't always look like the anger, you know, angry driving sort of angry. You know, the anger sometimes looks more, it's like under the surface. Sometimes, sometimes uh, being very passive, sometimes being very passive looks from the surface to be very meek and very humble and very kind and gentle. But oftentimes the source of that, pa- of the source of that passivity is like this, this anger, this anger. We wouldn't call it that or we wouldn't identify it that, but it's, it's there. Paul's just about to tell us, he's going to give us a little clue. He's going to let us see behind the curtain of what's going on with this anger. Now, he's about to say something that you have probably heard. And maybe you didn't know it came from the Bible, but you've probably heard this. You maybe when you were getting married, somebody gave you this advice when you were getting married. Here's what he says. He says, for we are members of one another, be angry and do not sin. And then... He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. 
Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Have you heard that before? Now, usually you get that advice is, is you know, you're, it's, the advice is don't go to bed angry, right? Is make sure if, you got a, if you've got something going on, an argument, deal with it that night before. Don't go to bed angry um, because, you know, it can compile or whatever. And that's good advice. That's really good advice. But Paul is saying so much more than that. Paul's saying so much more. When he says, don't let the sun go down in your anger, he's saying something huge. Here's, what he's, here's, a, here's a glimpse of what he's saying. That when you and I are wounded, when you and I are hurt, I want you to think about your childhood perhaps, maybe even think about yesterday. Um, but whenever, whenever somebody hurts us, it's as if somebody takes something from us. It's a, it's a deficit. It creates a deficit, okay? So um, this is like your debt book, okay? People in the olden days used to have a debt book, all right? They would have it on a piece of paper, and they would keep track of who owes them money, who they owe money to. This is their debt book. And when we're wounded, when we're hurt, we um, just instinctively, we make a little note in our debt book. This person owes me. This person owes me. That's why we even use the language of you owe me an apology. You see what I mean? You owe me because it, we feel like it owes, it, we're owed something. Like if somebody gossiped about you, then, you know, then what they've done is they sort of took something from your reputation. And so, you know, how do you make it right? Well, they need to they need to make it right. They need to pay it back. They need to apologize. They need to go back and tell the people that, you know, that what they were making, what they were saying wasn't true to sort of give you back your reputation. You know, it's like something was taken and they need to sort of repay it back. And we keep, we keep a log of it. Okay, we all have this. Now, some of us have a bunch of little things that happens to us all the time. But for some of us, we've got, we've got wounds. I mean, we've got debt from our past. For some of us, you grew up in a home where you weren't just owed like an apology, you are owed your, your childhood back. You are owed, you are owed so much more than just an apology. And it's in there, it's in your debt book, it's, it's listed, I'm owed this, I'm owed this. Listen to what Paul's saying, this is so instructive and helpful. He says, Paul says, be careful be careful that you don't let your sun go down on your anger, which means don't take wounds that you picked up in one season of life and leave them unaddressed and then turn the page and now you're in a new season of life. And the danger with that is we often, whenever we turn the page and we enter into a new season of life, we often lose sight of where we got that original hurt. We lose sight of what was owed us and when it was owed us and how it all happened. And it sort of goes in the past. And so I turn the page. I let the sun go down on my anger. It's in the past. I have all these debts. But now I'm in a new season of life. Now I'm married. Or now I've got kids. And guess what? I'm angry. I'm angry. Because I, there's, I still feel this deficit, but I kind of lost sight of where it came from. So now I'm in a new season of life, and guess who I'm angry at? Her, him. I look at the immediate people around me, and I think I'm angry at my spouse. I think I'm angry at my roommate. I think I'm angry at that guy dancing in his car on, you know, on Beltline um, because he cut me off, you know? Like, I think I'm angry at all these people. I think I'm angry at my kids. And if they would just, and if she would just, then I wouldn't be so angry. And what we're essentially doing is we're trying to get all the people around us in our immediate vicinity to essentially pay back, pay back these open debts that we have on these pages back here. And you see the problem with that, right? Is the debt's not even with them. 
The debt's not with them, but now they feel like they've got to pay. And, being, and then they've got to walk around eggshells around that person because it's just who knows when they're going to explode or who knows when it's going to, you know, what's going to be expected or asked of you. And it's because, Paul says, it's because, man, be careful. In your anger, it's, anger's fine. But he says, in your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let yesterday's wounds, unaddressed wounds, come into today. Because you'll lose sight of it, and then, and then it has the potential to make your relationship implode and explode. So what are you supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? Um, we all kind of do this with these wounds from the past. So what are we supposed to do? Where well, Paul tells us, he continues on. A couple of verses later, do you know what he says? He gives us a clue. He says this, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. He says, put, get rid of it. You got to get rid of these open debts. You got to get rid of them because you're carrying them around with you. You got to get rid of them. You got to cancel them. You got to get rid of them. To which we say, yeah, we, we know, Paul. Like, we know that we shouldn't carry this around, but what else are we supposed to do? We have these open debts. What are we supposed to do about it? Paul says, here's how I want you to deal with it. He says, put, be, let them put away from you along with all malice. And then he says this. And then he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Forgiving one another. Now, you know I was leading you there, right? We kind of knew that Paul was leading us here. Oh, the answer is forgiveness. Oh, but that still leaves us with, but how do we do this really? I want to just instruct you just a little bit on what this forgiveness thing means and why we push back on it so much. Forgiveness essentially is choosing, choosing to cancel the debt. Forgiveness is turning the page back, finding what was taken. You might have to turn some pages. Oh, I forgot about that one. And oh man, there's like ones even further back here. And they were all just unaddressed, but you've been carrying them. And you got to look at those and you have to say, okay, they owed me. They owe me and I feel it, but I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose. I don't feel like it. It's not an emotion. I'm going to choose to cancel the debt. They don't owe me. They don't owe me. They don't owe me. Yeah, they hurt me. Yeah, that's real. Yeah, those, those are real things. But it doesn't make sense for me to carry all of these open debts. I'm going to cancel. I'm going to cancel. I'm going to cancel. That's essentially what forgiveness is. It's easy to explain, really difficult to do. Easy to explain, difficult to do. We push back for a lot of reasons. Here's just three that I thought of. Okay, here's the first reason why we push back on that is we say, what about being paid back? I need to be paid back. They owe me. And so I'm going to hold on to this until they pay me back. Maybe for small offenses, perhaps you can get away with that. But think about this. Think about this. A lot of these wounds that we carry from the past, a lot of these hurts, you know what? They took so much from you. It was so long ago. But you know what? A lot of these debts cannot and will not be repaid. They just can't be repaid. They can't pay you back. I'm going to use an extreme example, but I just I want to use an extreme example because it just makes sense. But imagine you were sexually abused as a child. Maybe it was a dad. Maybe it was a mom. Maybe it was an aunt or an uncle. 
But what if, what if that happened to you? It shouldn't have happened to you, but it did. And it, and it, it hurt so much. It stole so much. You are owed. And in some cases, you are, you are owed everything back. You are owed. But here's the thing. What if, like, what if the offender, what if the aunt or uncle or, or babysitter or whatever came back two decades later and said, I'm sorry, forgive me. Is that going to pay it back? No, it's not going to pay it back. What if they say, I'm gonna, hey, I'm going to stand outside in the snow barefoot for three days. Will that pay it back? No, that won't pay it back. Even death can't pay it back. Even if that offender dies and it's like, oh, they're dead, it's fine now. No, even, even death can't pay the debt back. And so Paul says, listen, a lot of these debts that we carry around, many of them, they, they just can't, they, they literally can't get repaid in this life by the, by the offenders. And so how much sense does it make to carry it from season to season to season, letting it poison all of your other relationships? That's one of the reasons why we push back. The second reason is because we say, I'm letting them off the hook. If I forgive this debt, if I cancel this debt, they get away scot-free. I can, that is insufferable. I cannot live like that. They need to pay. I'm paying. They need to pay too. And so there's this justice thing that wells in, up in us. And it's a, it's a rightful justice thing. God, gave us, God made us in his image and he's a God of justice. We feel this, these feelings of justice. But Paul would come back and say, I get that you feel that way, but... Are you the judge? Can you stand in the place of judgment? Do you know how to, just, or how to, how to judge justly? Paul would say, and, and God would say, no, let, God would say, let me be the judge. I'm the judge that can judge justly, God says. If you put yourself in that place, you are just gonna, you're gonna, it's gonna just eat you alive. You're gonna just try to get vengeance, keep them on the hook. And Paul says, man, why, why don't just, just cancel the debt. And then the third reason why is we think that forgiving means reconciling. Forgiveness means reconciling. So that's another, one of the big reasons why we push back. It's the perfect time to talk about this at Thanksgiving time. <laughs> because one of the reasons why we don't want to cancel debts is we make the assumption that if I like, forgive them, that means that everything's fine. And that we got to be buddy-buddy. And I should invite them over for Thanksgiving. And we need to like go to putters and play around, you know? And, uh, and, and is that what it means? I'm not ready to do that. I might be ready to cancel a debt, but I'm not ready for, for reconciliation. Like, I don't know what that looks like. And the good news is this. I just want you to understand that forgiveness can be extended. Debt canceling can be extended even if the other person is, is, is uh, not ready to reconcile. Even if there's no repentance at all from the other hand. Even if there's no contact, contact at all. Maybe it's way from the past. You can still, even with no contact with that person, decide. Because forgiveness is an inward decision to say, I'm going to cancel the debt. I'm going to cancel that debt. I'm going to choose to say and believe that they don't owe me. Because living with this thing of them owing me is just killing me. It's killing me. I'm going to cancel the debt. But reconciliation is a beautiful thing. We are instructed to seek reconciliation. But you know what? The only way reconciliation can happen is if one person is repenting and the other person is forgiving. Ultimately, re reconciliation happens when two people are willing to repent and turn and change and two people are forgiving. Then gospel reconciliation can take place and it's beautiful. But 
you can forgive, you can cancel debts and still have boundaries. You can still have boundaries. Those are important in relationships. So don't think that forgiveness and reconciliation are always the same thing. With all of our relationships, you can forgive and then be in the process, hopefully, maybe, someday, perhaps, God willing, that there can be re reconciliation because people are willing to repent, to change, and to forgive. How in the world do we do this? Uh, Paul isn't even done. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get rid of your anger. How, Paul? Because I want you to forgive. Yeah, but how, Paul? And then, and then here's what he says. Listen to this. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Man, this is so hard, but it's so beautiful. Do you know how in the world we can have the ability to cancel debt? It's because we've got a God who canceled ours. At the root of what we believe as, as Christ followers, we've got a God who came to earth to cancel our debt and to work for reconciliation, to do all the things that we were undeserving of, but he came to us and did it. We have this model. We have this engine, the Spirit of God. If you're a Christ follower, the Spirit of God is in you, helping you understand how to do this. And if there's anybody on this planet that should understand what it looks like to cancel debts, it should be Christians. Because at the heart of who we are, at the heart of what we believe, we've got a God who says, I'm going to cancel yours. And if I can cancel yours, I guarantee you, you've got everything you need to be able to cancel debts in your own life. Here's the takeaway today. Um, the big idea is maybe perhaps, maybe perhaps, one of the things that's, keeping, that's, that's hurting you today, that's hurting your marriage today, it's hurting your relationships today. They're hurting, hurting your engagement today, your dating relationship today, just, your, just all, any of your friendships. Perhaps it's not anything that has to do with today. Perhaps it's all sorts of unaddressed wounds from the past. Are you willing? Are you willing? Are you willing to go back there, to open up the debt book, to look at those debts, to unpack them, understand them, speak to them, process them, deal with them, ultimately cancel them. Are you willing to do that?